Look, the fire's coming. Are you ready for the fire? The, we're firemen. Okay. We are firemen! You got it, coach. The heat doesn't bother us. We live in the heat. We train in the heat. Yeah, let's go. It tells us that we're ready. We're at home. We're where we're supposed to be. Yeah, first off, when I say thanks, coach. thanks coach Working hard doesn't mean bankroll But aim for the box for the bank, though uh. Pad to pen, yeah, take note God at the helm, we in the same boat The game requires all the pain, though No slack, practice never cancel yeah. Learn how to ball, yeah. coach when I fall uh. Lesson is learned You're listening to Thanks Coach With your host, Darnell Samuels I remember going to my parents' viewing and still not understanding the concept of death. How was I to know at four years old that this would be the last time that I would see my mother and father? At the viewing, I distinctly remember walking over to their caskets, touching their faces, and saying, wake up, wake up. It wasn't making sense to me, and I had so many questions. Why were they sleeping for so long? Why were there people crying? Why were they in big boxes with flowers surrounding them? I remember staring into my mother's face and it looked different. I had never seen her like that before. Her face looked heavier, as if it was swollen, and I could tell that she had makeup on. My dad also looked different. His hair was shorter and his face emotionless. He was usually full of life. This time was different. This time his life was gone. Before my glory, by Justin Alleman. Yes, yes, Justin. What's up, man? How you doing? It's good to see you. Been been a not too long, but it's always <laughs> good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Okay, so for those people who don't know, um, you have a book out before my glory. Yeah. Uh, what is it about? Basically, Before My Glory is it's a book about adversity, but I use my real-life experiences to tell the, the story. So it is a book about me and the way that I grew up before um, I became what I am today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, was a, it was an awesome book. Uh, you know, people usually use the term like, oh, it was a page-turner, couldn't put it down. But literally, um, my wife and I couldn't put it down, um, and it led to really good conversations between us. Um, in the way how we view the world. Uh, but just to be clear, can you define how you define glory? Because I think it's helpful in giving it context. Uh, that's the interesting thing because I feel like the way that I define glory is different for everyone else. Everyone's definition of glory should be different. Um, and for me, and well, let me just put more context in it. For me, um, finding my glory was when i when i stepped out of my comfort zone and was able to tell my story this was a glory moment for me but for someone else um for instance maybe if they were on a you know they never made a basketball team before um and they made their senior team that could be their glory moment or somebody who wanted to attain a scholarship and they all you know they worked as hard as they could and they finally got a, a scholarship that could have been their glory moment so i believe that it's different moments in our lives that we put a high value on um, that's what glory means to me but obviously glory is is a biblical thing that you, people hear a lot in the bible you know so it's it there's it, there's a lot of weight on it it's, it has some it's something that has a lot of significance to to someone 
Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, the the um the Bible defines glory as something weighty, and so it's 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 fascinating because you literally come from out of nowhere, um, and your your life was unlike anybody else's. Um, you were an orphan. Um, you lost your brother. Uh, you bounced around ten different homes before you hit high school. Um, searching schools a lot. Um, there was a lot of adversity, so the reader can jump right in and be like, okay, depending on, because we all have adversity, but it seems like your adversity is special um, because it was just a lot um, going on in your life for you to get to the point where you're at today. Uh, so I'm, I'm really thankful for the book, and we definitely got to give a copy away to a listener, um, so that'll be really dope. Now, my relationship with you comes from well I had a basketball program myself back in the day called Kingdom Athletics which more which was more of like a Christian based basketball program and you were um one of the kids in the program yep uh what do you remember about that time to be honest i remember it being you know a very special and fun time in my life that was one of the first teams that i was ever a part of really for sure. I, oh. I didn't have any money. So I wasn't like I was not that I wasn't good enough to make rep teams and stuff like that. It was one. I didn't I didn't have any guidance to tell me when these rep tryouts were or any mm-hmm. of these, you know, these teams. So I had no idea when, you know, social media wasn't a thing. Back yeah, that's then. right. That's so right. <laughs> if you didn't know somebody who was a part of it or you didn't have parents, you're like, oh, let me put my son into basketball or whatever. Then there would be no way for you to know about these things. So I didn't know. Um, and I had a friend who told me about it actually. Um, and so when I came out there and I made the team and, you know, it was an affordable program for what I could, you know, manage at the time. Mm-hmm. I just remember going there, having the best time of my life at, at that time in my life. Cause it was, it was like more of a community base. We do certain things that I wasn't getting at home, especially with the, you know, the Christian aspect of it. So because mm-hmm. uh, uh, you were playing I think you were playing for Alvin yep, Coach yep. Alvin Noel. I still talk to him now that's my guy <laughs> <laughs> shout him out yeah I, I, I do an interview with Alvin as well because sure. uh, Alvin, Alvin coached me as a kid mm-hmm. so you know me and him and, and Josh we teamed up and, and, and did the program uh, the thing I remembered about you was that uh, you were very disciplined and of course you know quiet um, but you were very disciplined. So, like, um, in between breaks, I always saw you working on little aspects of your game, um, the, the details. The, the, you, mm-hmm. I noticed you working on the small things. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, you know, you notice the, about a player. Um, uh, unlike the other kids who were just not serious um, off the bat, um, you were always serious. Uh, where, did, where did that come from? I mean, well, I think it came from just having a lack of opportunity and knowing that at any given time, this could be your opportunity. And I just didn't want to waste any moment because, it was, you know, going to indoor gyms was almost non-existent back then unless you were playing for a team. Mm-hmm. So when I knew I had the opportunity to get inside and be, you know, on hardwood floors in a Sheridan college, you know, on their campus, I knew that this could be the only time for this week that I'm going to have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I just want to use any chance that I can get to, 
you know, enhance my or improve my advantage that I have over the competition. So I just wanted to make sure I was doing my work, impressing the coaches and, and doing the best I could to, you know, maybe even get even more opportunities. Okay, awesome. Now, like back to your book uh, and this podcast being about coaching and coaching and coaches, the relationship between a player and a coach, I found it very fascinating, um, your relationship with Coach W. Um, yeah. Talk about the adversity you went through him and with him and the fact that you're got, you guys are cool after the fact because you thanked him at the end of uh, the chapter. And I was just like, well, what what, the, what are you thanking him for? Because <laughs> so, the whole time I'm pissed off. I'm reading this. I said, I can't believe this guy did you like that, man. Right. And it's then you're crazy. like, okay, you guys are cool. So, yeah, you know, explain that. Uh, you know, it was a tough situation because, um, again, back in the day. I'm sorry, what school was this again? This is Broom College in New York. Okay, yeah, 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 that's Binghamton. right. Binghamton. So back in the day, it was very hard if you're from Canada to, you know, attain a scholarship or play in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew how hard I had to work to get there. Um, and for me to get there, I, the process was grueling. I, I got every contact of every school, every email, every number, everything I could possibly get. I try to send out my mixtape that I personally made myself. Not like today, these kids get these mixtapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wake up, somebody made a tape <laughs> made on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they haven't done nothing that special. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we had to kill and still not get no looks. So anyways, I made my mixtape on Windows Media Player. It wasn't the greatest, but it did the job. Sent it out to as many coaches as I could. Um, and he was one of the coaches that replied. And he, he told me no, of course. Just like a lot of them did, only because I was Canadian and they weren't sure about having a Canadian kid at the time. It wasn't a thing, you know? Yeah. Isn't that funny how today, like now, people are looking for yeah, you know, they the just next come right here or whatever. Yep, they'll come to your backyard, sit here, go to your, you know, all these things that they weren't doing when we were coming up. Right. But yeah, so it was more about the work I had to put in to get there. So I get there. Um, after he did tell me, you no, know, he said, you know what, you can come for a workout, but you got to pay your own way. I said, cool, because I knew that if I was able to get myself in front of a coach, I wasn't going to allow myself to not perform. You know, uh-huh. I worked too hard for that opportunity uh-huh. and this chance. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I took the bus. It was like a 19 hour bus ride. I had to pay for my hotel. I had to, you know, pay my way, all these different things. And when I got there, I destroyed everybody who was there. And he told me, oh, hold on, I, hold on, hold on. You forgot one thing. <laughs> When you hurt yourself at the Y before. Yeah, I was going to add that in. So, so the night before, what he's talking about, the night before, the last night before, or maybe it was two nights before, I, you know, I was trying to put in extra work. And the Eurostep was brand new at this time. So as you know, now yeah, everybody yeah, does yeah, it. Everybody back does then, it, yeah. it was brand new. So I did it one last time before we were about to leave. And I must have somehow tweaked my ankle really, really bad. I was very upset about myself, with myself for not for doing that. But so I went down and bummed ankle. I was wearing my Kobe's at the time, strapped them up as tight as I could. Um, and yeah, I still killed with that ankle because it just maybe it was the Mamba mentality, you know, mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But I went there, did my thing. He said, "We need to have you at my school. I want you here." I said, "Okay, cool." Recruits me. I get down there. I'm living there now. I'm in the school. And I'm going to work. I should be one of the starters, according to the assistant coaches and the rest of my teammates. But unfortunately, I was a freshman, and he and we had other guys there. Especially when you're at a JUCO, you only got two years. 
And I understand that now. But at the time, my thought process was that if I'm better than the player who's above me, I should be playing. Mm-hmm. So I made it a point in every practice to shut him down and make sure that he there was no way possible that he could look any better than me. Um, and mm-hmm. I just thought it wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I ended up transferring from that school because I had an opportunity to go to a Division One and my to a D- Division One school, and my coach sat me on the bench because he didn't want them to see me. You know, mm-hmm. so that's what he's talking about when Yo, he says, bro, How can I forgive him for that kind of stuff." That baked my biscuits, bro. Oh, it did it for me too because <laughs> you know that's what you want, right? That's why I went there. That's why. That's why we hoop. This exactly. Those are the opportunities that we're looking for. You know, so which everybody's every Hooper's basketball dream is to play Division One and do that kind of stuff. And I mm-hmm. felt like he took it away from me after I worked so hard to get to to him. You know what I mean? And just for the selfish nature of him wanting to keep me back at his school for another year, I felt like that was wrong. But years passed, and we continued to speak on Facebook and stuff like that. And then he, you know, he started interacting with me and apologized for that. He said it was. He doesn't. He felt it was wrong, and he should have just played me. But mm-hmm. you know, there was no need for me to keep the malice in my heart. Like, there's nothing I can do about it now, and maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't be where I am today if he did that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I was able to forgive. I didn't forget, mm-hmm. but I definitely was able to forgive him and and uh, form a relationship now with him, where he's even talking about me coming out there and training some of his guys and wow. doing stuff out there. So, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a that's a really awesome life lesson uh, about forgiveness. Because uh, you know, even as players, you know, coaches, yes, coaches do do us greasy. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. But um, I learned from that. I was just like, yeah, like yo, even you as a young man can come to an older man and say, yo, I forgive you. Let's reconcile, um, and let's hopefully build in the future. So that, that's really awesome. And again, I'm I'm telling you guys, this book is awesome. Uh, and there's so many. Um, instances that relate to the podcast about your relationship with coaches we can't touch on them all Mm -hmm. uh, but another one that stood out to me which was really awesome was um when your brother died Mm -hmm. um and you know you didn't know what to do um having suicidal thoughts yeah um and you ran to this particular coach um and you ran to him and, and, and you guys um had a moment um can you talk about your relationship with that coach Oh, well, well, thinking back on that moment, that was it was crazy, super, super crazy. And it wasn't anything like obviously it's not planned. You don't know, you know, your head's going through a lot, especially in a time like that. But me and this coach, um, he's someone that I've known since I was in what? Grade nine, grade 10, grade 10. And the way that we even got introduced was I was at my high school and I'd just been kicked off of my basketball team. For the second time in a row. Yo, bruh. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> Y'all got to read the book, though. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. And so he happened to be the community coach coming in who was helping out that year. And so when he didn't see me at the practice the next day, he was like, where's that kid that was, mm-hmm. you know, head and shoulders above everybody else there? Where mm-hmm. is he? Like, this is he's making our team, mm-hmm. you know? And, the co- and I guess for some reason they told him I wasn't going to be on a team, whatever, whatever. And me still being a hooper and wanting to play, I would go by the practices just to look. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd stop by and like just look through the doors and see how they're doing. He seen me there, and he had a program, an outside program, and he he saw me walking sorry, past sorry, the gym. What was it called? If you can remember, it was called. It, well, it still is it's called Upper Room. 
Okay, no. Okay, I never heard of it. So he said, you know what? I'm starting a program. Um, would you want to be on my team? I really liked what you did. Like, it's crazy that you're not on this team. And so I said, yeah. He said, give me a call back. Give me a call today. Gave me his card. Give me a call. Let me know what you, if you really want to be on it. Before this guy got home, I had already left a message on his phone. Mm-hmm. So it was, he got home. There was a message saying, I'm in. I'm committed. Let's do it. And I started training with him and, and, you know, really owning my skills and taking care of my body and doing different things like that when, at a time when it wasn't like a popular thing to do. Now everyone has trainers and stuff, but mm-hmm. that's what I was doing back then. And so over the years, like I've, I've been in and around, like in and around his family since I was in grade 10. Mm-hmm. So what was I, 16? I'm 31 now. That's like si- almost 16 years, mm-hmm. you know? So, and we talked about lots of different things over the years, family, um, you know, schools, uh, just relationships in life and just growing up and being a young black man and different things like that. So he did teach me a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, I was like, man, he's also a pastor. So, or was a pastor. So when that happened with a, with a deep Christian background, so when that happened, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. I, I just know that I need someone to speak to right now who mm-hmm. I knew wasn't going to judge me for the way I'm going to speak or the way mm-hmm. of how I'm feeling. And I went to his building. I got there. I, I called his house. His wife answered. Oh, he's not here. I think he's downstairs working out. He got the gym in, in his building. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, do you want to wait for him to call back or, you know? And I was like, nope. I just hung up the phone. So I, I was already like 10 minutes away. I just started pedaling to the metal in my car, speeding, got to his house, got into the building. I just went straight to the gym. I seen him there on the treadmill. And I he just saw me and I had tears in my eyes and I just wanted to tell him what happened. I couldn't, I just fell mm-hmm. on my knees. And I started crying. Mm-hmm. He didn't even say any words. He just came and like embraced me, mm-hmm. grabbed me. And he was like, what's going on? And he just forgot about asking anything. He just started praying. Mm-hmm. And so we were just in the gym, both of us on our knees, me crying. Him was, he was holding me mm-hmm. and we were just praying. He prayed for me and it was like a, a good 10 minute prayer. 10 Whoa. minute solid prayer. Wow. And it was just what I needed at the time. And then he brought me upstairs to his house, you know, told his wife who I looked to as a mother figure as well. Mm-hmm. And we, they, the whole family just prayed for me and we just talked until I felt a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. better and safer in a good environment. So it was like, it was, it was a real moment for me. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's deep because, you know, rarely between, you know, men, do we have those moments of vulnerability, um, crying? Because you know, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, fellas, we could be a little too rough. Yep, <laughs> it could be a bit too rough. But um, it it was beautiful to see, you know, an older man coming to a younger man saying, "Yo, look, yo, let it out, let it out. I'm here. You know, you're not gonna be judged." Um, so that, that's really a blessing uh, to have those kind of relationships and have those coaches that you trust because you had other coaches, but, you know, you yeah. chose him, you know, so that, that's really dope. You're transitioning and you're a grown man now. Um, and you talk about your experience in the book where you go to India. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember, but I remember one time I messaged you uh, because you, you were like, oh, yo, I'm giving away a, a skipping routine. Yeah, you know, so I'm trying to get, I'm trying to, I'm trying to come out of retirement. <laughs> so <laughs> did it work? Uh, uh, did it work? Uh, I didn't really do it, yo. 
That's the that's the other half of it. <laughs> that's the other. Yo, see, I look, yo, man, I'm, I'm losing the mama mentality. But yes, yeah, so I I hit you up and I was asking for the the jump rope um, routine, and you know, and I was like, yeah, okay, let me, you know, how you doing? You're like, oh yeah, I'm in India, and I'm like, and I and I and I said to myself, I'm like, yo, what the hell is this guy doing in India? I'm, I said I'm, that myself too. <laughs> you know, it's it just one of those things. I was like, well, they don't got no basketball league. I'm like. Um, so I remember messaging you back and forth during that time. And yeah, mm-hmm. so, so talk about your trip to India and what you learned while you were out there as a coach. Well, I mean, that was different. It was the first time in my life taking a huge leap of that nature, you know, to go across the world. I'd never been across the world in my life before. I had opportunities. I had a professional contract to go play in Angola and Australia and different places like that. But I was too scared to go and do it, you know, because, again, I didn't. I never had that solid foundation of people behind me to say, yeah, yeah, go. I support you if things don't work out or if things work out, however it is. So I was always afraid to make that leap. So instead of actually going to play professional in Angola or in Australia, which the contracts I actually had, I chose to do semi-pro instead and just play in in uh, Buffalo for the, for the Buffalo 716ers. So now this opportunity in India came about and I was like, you know what? All my life I've been neglecting going as far away as I can because I'm afraid of just change, you know. I've already been through so much drastic change with going through different schools and all that kind of stuff. I just want to stay home and be what's familiar. But I, nonetheless, I did it. And that experience was, was great. It was definitely life-changing for me. Um, I learned so much about myself, and that's what I felt was the biggest lesson I took away from that. Um, and for me, it was like, what actually makes me happy? That's what I learned. What's mm-hmm. actually valuable and what morals do I actually value in this world that we choose to navigate ourselves through every single day, right? Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that we have so much more to give than we actually give. It's, it's just being able to unlock and unleash the things that we're truly, that we're truly passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so I was going over. So what I did is I went over there to open up five different, five basketball academies which I did, and through that, this is this is where I learned that my passion wasn't actually basketball. That was just a tool that I used to ignite my passion, which was mm-hmm. actually to help others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just blessed with the gift to use. I'm just blessed with the gift of basketball that I use to help others, but it's actually helping others. So in any shape, fashion, or form that I could help someone, that's what I'm truly passionate about. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that I'm, I played basketball and I'm good at it and I'm a good teacher with it and it's taken me around the world. So it helped me realize that. And it also helped me realize that, you know, um, family is very important. And even though I moved around a lot and I, I wasn't able to be around my siblings as much as I would want to, that helped me realize because I seen people living over there with much less than what we have much over here. Much, much, much less. And I asked them, the ones that spoke English, I asked, I said, how are you? so happy the man said to me i'm wealthy i'm looking at him he lives in a tent Mm -hmm. how can this guy be wealthy Mm -hmm. he said i got my family here i got everyone in my family here with me we wake up together we go to sleep together we eat together we laugh we joke we do everything together what Mm -hmm. more do i need Mm -hmm. i have all that i need Mm -hmm. i'm looking like well the wi-fi just went out of my (laughs) house so that's why i'm even out here (laughs) i don't got nothing You know, so it just opened my eyes to people's perspectives and what true wealth and 
stuff like that is really about yeah 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 no definitely and and you, um yeah man you were you were celebrity out there man michael b jordan yeah so they said creed <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> yo yo that's dope that's so dope um and just uh talk about um the coaching experience you had with the kids out there uh with the kids out there the coaching experience was pretty good it's new for them they never seen anyone like me or like us over here come over there and be able to teach them black people exactly oh man black people oh, so boy. first night i went over there it was kind of like a celebrity experience for them they you know i'm i'm black so yeah and, yeah, and yeah not yeah. that they're and not that they're not colored over there because they are yeah. but i just look a little different yeah yeah there are a lot of the people over there the culture is they're they're more on the smaller side so the, the guys are smaller they're not as muscular oh they're they're, they're small people yeah 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 okay oh okay. the guards are tiny like okay to be like five foot four but their guns are like five foot eight so okay okay <laughs> it's, it's different okay they're small but they pack a punch if you mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. try something mm-hmm. but yeah it was good so at first it was more of a shock to them there it was more of like a starstruck type of moment for them mm-hmm. but um eventually they i can't say they got over it but they were learning to <laughs> that they were learning to get with the skills and and do the things that they're that i was asking them and i seen a lot of great improvement and with that being said before i left they actually started a league over there that they tried to make me play in, and i would have Oh wow! I would have had I had more time. Yeah. So now they have actual a league, a pro league over there. It's pretty dope. Yeah. No. 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 It, um, when I went to your book signing, you talked about that. Um, yep. You, you said uh, you talked about. You know, they didn't have anything. They don't have basketball resources. Yeah, for sure. No, you know, like talk about that when you did the little camp and you didn't have no resources. Yeah. So it was crazy because that was actually like I went over there with a private group to open. Um, these basketball courts. So I was really, yeah, I was still in India. It's a third world country, but there's some people over there that got money, like mm-hmm. some serious, serious money, just mm-hmm. like they are in every other country. And so primarily I was working with the, the more of the kids and, and stuff that had, you know, money. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did do is I took it out on, on my own time to go to the schools that I knew didn't have the money or didn't have those resources and even the rich kids' resources were still scarce, scarce compared to ours over mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would go to those schools who didn't have that and try to, you know, see what I could do for them as well. So when I w- what you're talking about is I would go to these schools and I put on clinics over there. I'd give them like a week or two weeks in advance, tell them I'm going to come over there and put on this clinic, gather all your basketballs, gather everything together, and let's do it. And so I got to my first school and I was like, all right, this is going to be sick. There's like 55 kids there. That's what they told me. Um, and it was a private school. So I get there like, well, everything's around the back. I get around the back. Now I'm thinking I'm at the wrong school. I'm like, everything's around the back. There's nothing here. <laughs> it's just a dirt field. <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> and there was no kids. So it was a dirt field. So clearly no hoop, no lines, no court, no nothing. It just rocks and dirt. Then the kids show up on a school bus, raggedy, beat-down school bus. No shoes on. Half of them had shoes, but the shoes had holes in it. Their toes were sticking out the front. The other half, no shoes. I'm like, they're going to wow. play on this dirt field that has rocks on it. So I started tr- trying to kick some of the rocks away to try to make like a solid ground where, you know, that mm-hmm. kids could step. Oh, man. And then I used some of the rocks that I had to like kind of draw in the dirt, the lines that they would have. I drew a ladder 
So I knew they can do a lot of footwork, mm-hmm. defensive stuff. We had one ball. It was not a basketball. I don't even know what kind of ball it was, how <laughs> tattered it was. Could have been a volleyball. Could have been a football. It was so warped, tattered, and ripped. Oh, it could have been any ball at this point. Crazy. Basketball, football, yeah. soccer ball, any ball. <laughs> so, you know, we used that um, and just acted out a lot of the things I, I learned how to do that you can do, especially in third world countries where basketball is not familiar mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things you can do to show them shooting for them show them defensive stance mm-hmm. you know slides all sorts of stuff like that and that was an experience itself you know and they enjoyed it and i was so happy that i was able to do that mm-hmm. yeah no it's crazy because you know now you look at us here you know like you said you said like yeah man's not even coming to work out if it ain't in a gym yeah you know yeah Man's are coming suited up with the Kyrie. They're not. Forget about if it's in the gym or not. They're not coming to work out over here if they don't get a ride from their parents. Right. They're not taking the bus. They're not walking. Mm. If you don't pick them up either, it's like, I can't make it. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Different. No. Yeah, no, no, no. It's true. It's it's humbling. When I heard it, I was like, yo, this is so true, man. Um, And it was very helpful to hear you know, your experience over there and be like, wow, like, you know, there's kids that love basketball there and yeah. there's kids who love basketball here, but because of the privilege, you kind of neglect it. You take those things for granted. But exactly. Yeah. But I was really, that, that, that was a really um, dope experience that, that you shared and it was really helpful for me. And now you transition into um, a on-court skills development coach with the Raptors 905. Talk about how you got that opportunity. So people always, you know, they jump to that and they say, oh, yeah, you work with the 905 and you do stuff with the Raptors and you train some of their players and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And I do. Um, But the opportunity, I, I always tell people, didn't arise without the humble beginnings. Without me starting my company, I don't think any of those opportunities would be there. Mm-hmm. So it's not about, for me, it's not about what I did right before I got there. It's about what I started years previous. You know what I mean? Like starting my company is what got me to train Raptor players and, and be with the 905 and do different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because of just the work ethic that I put into it. So I started Dream Chasers, which formulated into me working with the Mississauga Power, which is an NBL team, which I, you know, I worked for free for them for the year as a player and, development. And what's the NBL? National Basketball League of Canada. Okay. Yeah, so I did that for a year um, as like an intern doing player development. Long ass hours, but I did it because I knew where I wanted to be. And I know people always talk about what you know, but for me, it's all about who you know. And Mm -hmm. so we were working out of the Hershey Center here in Mississauga, which is now called Paramount Fine Food Center, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the same people who were running the Mississauga Power ended up running the Raptors 905 because the Raptors came in and bought us out in our last year. Mm -hmm. So while that was happening, I ended up going over to India. I was in India and I opened up those five academies. I uh, had an instance where I ran into some guys who were from the NBA who were starting to open up NBA Academy and and junior NBA out in India. So they saw what I was doing there. They loved it. They asked me if I'd want to work for the NBA doing it because they thought I did a great job. I said, sure. I come back to Canada. I start working with the Raptors 905 as community specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that entailed was making 
was going to different community centers and developing a plan of fundamentals that kids could learn and you know under mm -hmm. the raptors 905 branch so i did that mm -hmm. uh, then the mba called me said we have an opportunity for you would you want to work with us over in asia mm -hmm. of course i said mm -hmm. yes if the mba comes calling i'm there mm -hmm. if it's the right opportunity mm -hmm. so three weeks later i'm on a flight i'm going to hong kong i start working with the NBA Asia as a brand ambassador, as a lead coach, as a whole wow. bunch of different things. So I'm doing clinics in front of thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids and athletes wow. and stuff like that. Did it for about six months. I came back because I was getting married. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to go back overseas, but I was just coming back to like iron out details of mm -hmm. the venue and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Of course. Uh, and then my wife wouldn't let me go back. So <laughs> <laughs> she was like, no, you can't go back. Yeah. We got to do stuff here and blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. that good stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm not mad at it. Of course. At the time, I was like, uh, well, no, but you yeah. know how it goes. Yes, I do know how it goes. So <laughs> Raptors see me here and they're like, hey, I thought you were overseas. Because I ended up in Vegas at Summer League. And I'm always anywhere. Oh, yeah, the I NBA saw you. Is, yeah, I saw you on your IG. Yep. Anywhere yeah. that the NBA is, I'm always there because you need to be in places if you want to get to places. You know mm. what I mean? So yes. they see me there. Well, you were just in Hong Kong and Thailand and this place and that place. And now you're here. And what do you do? Like, And it would happen to be the Raptors. Do you want to come and work for us? The Toronto Raptors organization asked me this. I said, sure. They said, okay, if you are staying here, we'll offer you something something might come up i said i'll stay here if there is something i'm not gonna just stay here and then mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i applied for the position i did my interviews um and my last step of the way was i had to, but the last two steps were kind of were, were supposed to be the most difficult steps and they were so i was talking to coach jamma because he was the last line of defense for them mm -hmm. for the raptors 905 and he mm -hmm. said to me put together a player development program for if you had Chris Boucher for a three-month period over the the offseason, how would you develop his game? How would you get him better? Mm -hmm. um, so I did it. Made a 40-page report um, outlining everything I would do with Chris Boucher in the offseason. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to get it done in a week and send it back to him. I send it back to him within six hours. Oh, this Six guy, hours. This guy. And I included a workout plan and video edits, oh. which he never asked for. He was he was blown away and said, "Man, like this, the quality of the work that you just submitted to me in such a short time is better than a lot of the guys who've been working in this league for years." Mm. I don't understand how you did it, and that's when I told him, "Like, you know, I've been preparing, I've been praying and preparing for this blessing before it even happened." I said already in my head, I had already known it was coming. So I, Yo, I was praise ready God, for it. praise God, man. And that was one of my mentors who taught me that, which is right here on this book cover. Mm -hmm. Anisha Curry, mm -hmm. she taught me that, and ever since she said it to me, it was it stuck with me. Well, thanks, Coach. <laughs> and so then my last line of defense. Now he brought me in. He's like, "Man, I loved what you submitted. I want to see you work in real life because everybody's talking about it. Can I see it?" I said, "Sure." He says, "Come to OVO and work out a player." I said, "Okay, cool." Oh, the OVO Center. Yep. Okay. I said, "Okay, cool." I get inside there. I'm thinking, I don't know, some college player or whatever the case yeah. is. So, coach is not there yet. I'm there. He says, meet me there at 3. I get there at 2.30, trying to be early. You know? Yeah, of course. I get there. I'm, I'm doing my thing. 3 o'clock comes. I don't see him. Siakam walks out. He's like, are you working me out? Enjoying the show? Well, you can show your appreciation by sharing this episode with a friend. 
You can also take a trip down memory lane by leaving a comment. You can contact Darnell on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter at Dugada Darnell. That's D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. I'm like, uh, I guess so. So I made him start working out. <laughs> Coach walks in. It's too sick. This he, is too he sick. Walks in, it's like 307. Me and Siakam are already going at it, putting him through some like warm up drills and different drills like that. And I'm thinking, okay, he's about to jump in and tell him. And he's like, no, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, so I do another drill. I'm like, okay, he, coach. He's like, no, no, keep going. I'm like, all right. I do another drill. He's like, no, keep going. I'm like, all right. He's like, man, I love what you're doing. Keep going, keep going. And Siakam's oh, like, yeah, I like boy. it, I like it. And I guess he was impressed with what I was doing with Siakam. So he's like, man, like, I think this is going to be a good fit for us. And I was basically hired on after that. So, wow. again, that was a blessing in disguise, too. Did he mean to show up late and just me start working him up? I don't know. But again, prepare for them blessings before you get them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I already had a, a plan in place in case he asked me to do the workout. He mm-hmm. asked me to help him. He never asked me to do a workout. But I yeah. knew that I would have something in place. And I had already planned every single workout for all the Raptors players, depending on who I was going to get. Wow. Isn't that crazy? You know, you know, Siakam now is the number one guy on, on the squad. And so yep. you kind of see like how all that came together. For and, sure. And yo, Justin, this is crazy because like, yo, coming from where you're coming from, um, and your goal getting to the NBA and and then in your conclusion in your book, you talk about look, you you said, you know, I love my life and I wouldn't trade it to be an NBA player. Yeah. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I feel like I was going in a direction before that I, I you know. I loved and I thought this was the direction for me. And I said in the book, too, I said, you know, sometimes we have plans for our lives. We have great. We what did I say? I don't even remember exactly what I said, but I Mm -hmm. said sometimes we have great plans for our lives. But God has a better one, something along those lines. And so I feel like that's exactly what happened where, you know, I want to be this NBA player. And I always said from a young age that. You know, I'm going to make it to the NBA. I put that out there in the universe. And I was proud to say it. I wrote it down in my goals list. But now when I look back at it, I wasn't specific enough. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really specific on what I was going to be in the NBA. All mm-hmm. I said is make it to the NBA. Mm-hmm. That's what it said in my book. That's mm-hmm. what I wrote. And so now, you know, when you aim high and you say things like this and you believe them and you work towards them, and they do come to fruition. If you mm-hmm. work for it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'll make it to the NBA. I just didn't know I was going to make it as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. And no. so I, you know, I got to thank God for that. Those were what his plans were. And me being a player would have been great, but I wouldn't be able to influence or touch as many people as I can right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd be more focused on my own development and different things like that. And now I get to be focused on other people's and still be a part of the NBA family and do what I love. Your question is did you, you did you get a ring? Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course I did. I engraved and everything because we. Yo, I, hold on, hold on. You had a dream to be in the NBA. Yep. And now you're an NBA champion. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. Name Praise engraved em. on and everything. 
And it's crazy because I, I sat back and I thought about it that day. And I was like, man, Allen Iverson and guys like this Yo. don't even have rings. Carl, all these guys have don't have a ring. I have a ring. How? Yo. How? Oh, man. Yo, God is good, man. Wow. Yo. Now, I'm, yo, Justin, I saw, I saw it. I was just like, because you know, because they have the replicas. Yeah, yeah. They have the replicas floating around. Yeah, so I'm just this like, ain't no replica. <laughs> yo. So I was just like, yo, I was like, yo, that ring's shining a little too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, man. Uh, praise God. That's awesome. Uh, when I was at your uh, book signing, I asked you the question, which coach uh, had the greatest influence on you? And I think you mentioned one of the guys from the Raptors. Yeah, I said Phil Handy because I like the way that he goes about his business. You know, he's very focused on his craft. Um, he's very detail orientated, and being able to work up close with him and do some workouts with him earlier on in the preseason was was sort of like a blessing to me because he's worked with all the great players, not all of them, but a lot of the great players. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's got to pick up on their. Where, tendencies. where was he before? What, what teams were he? Was he with? He was at. He was with the Lakers um, when Kobe already. was there. Yeah, when Kobe was there, he was with Cleveland. Mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and when lebron was there yep 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 okay and now he's back and then he came to us and now he's back with the lakers again mm-hmm. so you know he's went through a lot of different people in throughout the season and the off season mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't even just his on-court skill development work that he did because there's only so many drills that you can do that are brand new mm-hmm. you know people mm-hmm. recycle drills people use other people's drills yeah. it's yeah, all for a part sure. of it for sure you know what i mean but it's how he carries himself off the court and how willing he is to help other people become great. Like he has this quote that says, be your own goat. And that I think that's brilliant. Oh, I love that. I think that's brilliant because, you know, we're always talking about who's the goat this and who's the goat that. Why can't it be you? Mm-hmm. Why can't you be that for yourself? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In whatever craft you have or whatever capacity that is, be your own goat. And he, he's right about that. And so I really, you know, resonated with his message on and off the court and i just like the way he's able to and the way he's willing and able to help others if i reach out to him today he always you know he always writes me back on instagram or anything like that so just grateful to have someone like that in your corner and who who's where he is and hasn't forgotten where he's come from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay now you have an organization called dream chasers yeah and explain to the listeners what that is and how it works so Dream Chasers Basketball was, you know, I started that with the goal in mind to be able to help kids who I thought were like me or athletes who I thought were like me, whether that be male or female, just people who didn't really have, you know, who, who were underdog athletes, who didn't have household names coming into a certain program, mm-hmm. um, just kids who wanted to be great, who wanted to be the best at their sport um, and who just needed an opportunity mm-hmm. to become, to be trained and you know, honestly be able to show their skills at whatever level they're at. And I felt like that was my, the biggest misconception about me where people didn't know about me. So they assumed you must not be good or as good as the other players. Right. But it was hard for me because I I wasn't, I lived in every neighborhood, you know what I mean? And I was, I was never on any team. I didn't have the money to play on teams. Didn't mean I wasn't good. It just meant I couldn't afford it. Just meant those opportunities weren't awarded to me. Mm -hmm. But that shouldn't mean that I shouldn't, you know, be able to get trained by the best people because I don't have the money for it mm-hmm. or because I don't have, you know, the knowledge of knowing where these things are or how they're allocated or because I'm not from this city or because I'm a new kid. Shouldn't be that way. If I want to play basketball, 
and I'm available to play basketball and I'm putting forth the effort, mm -hmm. then I should get those opportunities. So I started the program to be able to award those kids who, you know, nobody thought would be able to afford it or who didn't have the same opportunities because they weren't a household name. I want put everybody on the same playing field, whether your household name or your underdog or your, you know, you're just starting. And let's we'll see what happens. Give you all the same training and see who comes out on top. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny you say that. Um, you know, basketball, I don't know if you would agree, but it's a big, it's a hype machine. Of course. Um, Especially now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, and, and it's funny you say it because, like, you know, a lot of times there, there's a YouTube channel um, I love watching. It's called. Um, stunted growth mm -hmm. and basically he documents guys who had a lot of hype yeah and then he and he points out three reasons why they failed and so he, he has a long list of names oj mayo and a whole bunch of guys who had a lot of hype coming in so i love the fact that you you know you're kind of trying to fight against that tide and let kids know like look man you know just because you crossed a guy on ig mm -hmm. your father you know you go viral right it shows up on baller's life yep all that, and now you have like a thousand followers, and now they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, this guy is the next it." So that's that's really dope that you're fighting against that. Now, you also have like a, a you train, but you also have like a AAU team now. I think I saw. No, so we don't we don't do an AAU team. We just have a rep team right now. Okay. Um, I don't know, maybe in the next few years, but I believe that you know I, we started young right now, anyways. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the coach of the team. I just. It's just under my brand because, okay. I, again, I want to give people that outlet. And for me, it's still more about the development. Mm -hmm. But we do have a team um, that plays in the rep leagues. And for us, again, we just want to give people equal opportunity. Yes. And I don't believe in going over and playing right now in the States. And because you're too young to be doing that. Mm -hmm. Like at grade six, nobody's looking at you. Mm -hmm. No one's looking at you. And mm -hmm. so many other things could happen. By grade nine, you might not even like basketball. Facts. You know what I mean? You Facts. might not even like basketball. Let me let's wait <laughs> until this like kid girls. is in You know what I mean? Let's wait until this kid is in grade ten or twelve yeah. or something like that. So not sorry, not twelve. Ten, eleven, twelve and see where he's at then. Then we can put out rankings. Then we can do mm -hmm. kids still have to grow. Kids still have to do this. You know, there's so many yes. different things. Yeah, that's I, a good point. I feel like to me it's like it's a waste of time for the kids to be going there and focus on their development money. while they're here. Exactly. Focus on the development in the first few years of their playing. And there's enough competition here in Canada where we don't need to be going across the board. We're winning those tournaments anyway. Mm -hmm. So if the best, if the teams from here are winning them, why are you going there? Just play those teams. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, that That's a good point. So, so what age groups um, do, you, or do you have so far? Right now we just have the one team. It's a uh, grade eight team. So it's U14, but, Probably by next year, we're going to have two or three other teams. Again, younger age groups, though. Younger age groups? Yeah. Not older? No? Nah, because it's, you know, I, we stuck with the grade 8. Grade 8 was like the cap for us because I feel like that's an intricate, intricate part of, you know, kids' development. They're going into high school the next year, mm -hmm. you know. So, again, as I mentioned before, you know, that transition to high school for some kids is huge. It's major. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is where you decide, is basketball really for me or am I mm -hmm. going to stick to my books or am I going to you know, do, do something, something else? else. Yeah. You yeah. know, so this is where I feel like if you can get them now, capture them 
in their thoughts and have them really think about what they want to do in their lives, then this would be the best time. After grade nine and ten, it's like, you know what I mean? We want the serious guys. Mm-hmm. So that's why I felt like grade eight was a time where you could still change some kids' minds. And if they don't want to play basketball, that's fine. Like, it's not a force issue. Some people play it for the love of the game, but they don't want to go to the NBA or the WNBA. I know you're a big Kobe guy. Absolutely. Huge. Um, and and you're not just a big Kobe guy, you know, buying the shoes or just hooping, but you really embody that Mamba mentality. So let me. So how did it hit you? How did you first hear about the news, and how did it affect you when Kobe, when you heard about the death of Kobe Bryant? Oh, it was devastating. I'm sure it was for everybody else. But for me, I don't know. Like, everyone says, like, they felt like they knew him. And I really felt like I knew this guy. Like, I was celebrating his birthday like it was like it was mine. Mm -hmm. I'm shouting him out like he's one of my friends or one of my brothers. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. And a whole bunch of other things because, you know, Kobe was the reason why I started watching NBA. I've been watching Laker games since 96 when Kobe got drafted. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw that. He wasn't, I obviously wasn't drafted to Lakers, but I saw, I got to see all his games, all the special moments, everything. When he, when his last game was in LA, I was there too. 20 years, I was there for all that kind of stuff. So when I heard the news, I was actually on the West Coast and I had, was supposed to be in LA, but I didn't go all the way to LA. I went to Vancouver thinking, ah, I'll probably go to LA next weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was on court training, wearing his shoes. Um, and it would just happen to be like, you know, a water break. I was telling the kids, go get water, whatever, whatever. I was looking down at the shoes like, oh, it says Black Mamba. I haven't worn these in a while. I leave those shoes in Vancouver. Which one? Kobe, which one? The Kobe 8s. Kobe Black 8s. Mamba, oh. Dusty Cactus. Okay. I leave them in Vancouver. I don't really wear them unless I'm there, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want to travel with shoes. Mm-hmm. But so I'm looking down at them. One of my colleagues, one of my, one of my boys comes over. He's like, yo, Kobe's dead. I'm like, what? I'm thinking this guy's joking. He's like, nah, man, Kobe's dead. He's like, check your phone. I checked my phone. I seen the thing. I was like, there is no freaking way that this guy is dead. Guy's mm-hmm. like a superhero. There's no way. Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. is how I thought. And it was crazy because as soon as that happened, I started reading it. I just ran to the washroom. Tears immediately. Mm-hmm. Immediately. It was mm-hmm. like all over again, like a family member or something passed. Mm-hmm. And as I kept reading more developing stories, I was like, I heard that his four his whole family was on the on the helicopter and i'm like his whole bloodline gone mm-hmm. all the brian's done i thought that was it i'm like this is insane and mm-hmm. then thankfully as more details came out that wasn't the case but it was still devastating to know that kobe and Gigi and everybody else in that who was involved with all the other families you know it, it's such a crazy story and you just never think like a guy like kobe would go out mm-hmm. not even just like that but ever you know what I mean? Because of how big his personality was on and off the court for in what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But it was also crazy because, you know, the kids got called back in and, you know, one of the guys who was leading the program over there, he's like, you know, there's some devastating news. I had brought my ring to show those guys. Mm-hmm. So I flew it across the country. I was like, I'm going to bring my ring, show all these kids. There's like a hundred of them. He's like, and I, at this, by this point, I had dried up all my tears, but I was still in my head, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, devastating news. A legend, Kobe Bryant, has died. As soon as he said that, like I was sitting behind him with my ring in my hand, sitting behind him, Kobe Bryant has died. It hit me again. Started bawling. He's like, and here's Justin. He's like, he's going to show you his ring, champion with the Toronto Raptors, blah, blah, blah. 
and I was supposed to walk around and show it in the case yeah. that they gave me and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just took the case. I was like, here, I gave it to the kids. There's like a hundred of them. They're running around the gym with my ring. I was like, yeah. I don't know if this is going to come back. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. I don't yeah. even care at this point. Yeah. All the parents came over to me. They're like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I was working like for me, like there's two things I wanted. One was to make it to the NBA and mm-hmm. one was to make it onto the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a part of the Lakers organization because of Kobe. Mm-hmm. And even though he retired before I ended up getting there, I was like, I know that I'm going to make it to this Lakers organization one day. And mm-hmm. he's still in and around. He's a Laker. So mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to meet him, him there. We're yeah. going to do all these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that kind of hit me hard. And knowing that I was this year, I was going to go down to his mama sports academy. Oh, really? I was going to be, yeah, I was going to be doing, helping him with his um, oh, training there. So it was man. like, it was crazy to hear that because I, I was really looking forward to, to being in the trenches with him, helping mm-hmm. him doing his training with all those other NBA stars. But mm-hmm. obviously being able to be with him and learn from him and take things from him, that's like my childhood hero. So Yeah, yeah, I know. It was very sad. And the way I explained it to a lot of people was that, you know, especially, you know, in the basketball community. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just about how he played, but it was his philosophy. Exactly. And and I and I call him a philosopher in like his Mamba mentality and that work ethic yep. is what um drew drew a lot of not yes, a lot of hoopers, but a, but the real ones you might say. Yeah. The real ones who know what the grind is and those who wanna be great. If you wanna be great, then you know, you gotta follow that Mamba mentality. Um and that's why it hurt a lot of guys. Cause you know, some of the girls were like, Oh yeah, it's sad, the family died, but you know, a lot of the fellows were like, yes, the family died, but we also lost a philosopher. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's very sad and very tragic and very humbling as well that, you know, God is not a respecter of persons and that, you know, we have to make sure that we learn to number our days and love our family. Exactly. Um, and all that. So, yeah, man. You know? Yeah. I, I, Justin, I think you're the perfect example of a person because, you know, you know, we, you know, as hoopers, we're all bit by that bug to make it to the league. Yeah. Go D1 or make it to the league. But I think your life, um, you know, God's plan and you know, divine providence, our free will and God's sovereignty working together. Um, you know, you had a tragic start. Yeah. Um, you know, your parents being murdered and all that. Um, you know unstable family situation you even though you loved hooping you couldn't afford to play in a lot on a lot of these rep teams yeah um but now you have god is where he wants you to be um you're, you're still playing basketball you're still a part of the nba um but like you said you, you are more happy now as a coach and trainer than you probably would have been in in the nba and i think it's important for the players to realize like look man like yeah you know what you might not make the league but in God's plan, maybe he wants you to be a doctor because you'll exactly. be a better doctor than an NBA player. Exactly. Or you'll be a better lawyer than an NBA player. Yep. So, um, yeah, you're, you're a walking testament to that, man. So, And now, now I remember the line because I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. The line was, I had a life much different than this plan for myself, but God had a plan much different for my life. Mm-hmm. That was the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 man. So yeah, it was really helpful. Uh, thank you for coming through, bro. Um, I'm really proud of you, man. Uh, yo, man, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm a softy. I don't know, or I'm I'm very. <laughs> we all got a little bit in this. I, I, I don't know. Just I, I guess part of it too is like 
like you'll you'll hear a lot of the guys I sit down with who who are younger than me or in basketball programs that I was coaching in. Um, and I see the men you guys grow up to be, and it's just like you know, I'm just like yo, praise God. Um, I love following you on IG and seeing what you're up to. So yeah, man, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming through. Appreciate you, bruh. I appreciate you. Been a long time coming, but I I knew we'd get this done, and I'm yeah. I'm happy to be yeah, on yeah. the show, of course. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. For those of you who want a copy of the book Before My Glory by Justin Olliman, what I want you to do is send in a voice note. Letting us know how you're enjoying the show, what you've been learning from Thanks Coach, what you've been finding encouraging, and we'll draw from those submissions and announce the winner on a future episode. On the next episode of Thanks Coach, we're not in a basketball business, we're in a relationship business. Our relationship is what's going to get you your first job. Our relationship is going to help you keep your job. If you're an assistant coach, relationships is what's going to help you bring in recruits. A relationship is gonna is gonna keep parents happy, and so just and it goes beyond your players. Um, of course, that relationship is key because you know players don't care how much you know; they want to know how much you care. And you know players will run through a wall for you only when you develop a relationship with them. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and don't forget to say thanks, coach.